Okay, here we are. Well, welcome to the first recording or first episode of The Curious Kiwi. And I'm very happy and excited uh, to have one of my good friends, Sam Zaya, in the first episode. Uh, Sam and I have known each other for, I think, about 10 years, uh, maybe 11 years or so. Can't remember. Yeah, I'd, I'd say about that amount of time, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like we've grown together uh, as as individual people um, over the, the last few years as well. And we've helped a lot. Uh, we've helped each other quite a lot in terms of that process too. So yeah. firstly, thank you for being my friend. It's It's been great having you on board uh, with some of the transition I've had over the last few years. Um, and then secondly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for, for being here. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited to be the first one here, you know. Um, and I equally thank you for... Yeah, the last 10 years and i'm really excited to have a chat today and just to explore some of these interesting topics awesome also just to let people know we didn't consciously coordinate our shirts it just happens to be the case that we love light <laughs> light blue <laughs> and yeah. have the same uh, sense of fashion i remember probably about 10 actually 10 years ago i went to hallenstein's and i asked the guy oh you know I'm, i have a job interview what's a good shirt to go for and he gave me this advice um, and obviously he said it confidently, so I kind of believed him, but he said light blue is always the color. It's good for any kind of anything. Um, yeah. If you're unsure about a situation, light blue is always a good color. Nice. I'll, I'll keep that in mind as well. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I guess with this podcast and, and before we get into some of the interesting things that I wanted to talk to you about, um, tell me more about yourself. Who is Sam Zaya? Sure. Uh, so Sam Zaya is currently and has been for a long time, uh, a student. Uh, I seem to have liked to keep away from full-time work for some, some amount of time, but then again, that's just an excuse. I've really been passionate about a lot of things, um, and I felt that the, the way that I could get there was through study. So um, at the moment, I'm a fifth-year medical student uh, with the University of Otago. I've got my placement here in Wellington. Um, and prior to that, I was you know, deeply passionate about psychology. And I studied psychology at the University of Auckland. Uh, I completed my honors degree there. My main goal at the time was to get into clinical psychology because, I mean, I know. My hero, my, my, yeah, why not? That's right? what everyone and, does. <laughs> um, I mean, I always believed in that idea of the, what is it? The, the unattainable goals are the best goals to have um, because they, they made me strive for something really high. And it was, you know, it was a cool goal to have. And I was really inspired by like my role models were psychiatrists and psychologists of the past. Um, that's who I used to read. That's who that's the people that got me out of bed. Uh, that gave me um, diff, like my top, top inspiration is Irvin Yalom. Hmm. He's a existential psychotherapist and psychiatrist. Um, and so he kind of developed theories in the 70s that human existence and human suffering was down to like four main principles. And these were existential principles, such as isolation, loneliness, purpose. And that was a good sort of structure for me to begin learning about when I was in my early 20s. And I think a lot of young men in their early 20s go through periods, oh, not just young men, actually, a lot of people just in general go through periods of lack of meaning or purpose. And you know, we have this narrative for, to fulfill if we are so inclined to think in that way. Um, and I was unfortunately, and fortunately, someone who did a lot of overthinking and was, you know, plagued with those questions. So these kind of 
people who had thought about it before, Irvin Yalom, uh, Eric from uh, Rollo May, Carl Rogers, uh, and even going back as far as Freud and, and Jung, these are the people that I felt were, had explored things in a similar way. You know, we've got Viktor Frankl as well, who had logotherapy and talked about meaning and purpose. And so in my early 20s, I was reading all these books and they were fulfilling something for me. And so I, I wanted to take the next step and study psychology. Um, and at the same time, I was working at a drug and alcohol sort of addictions facility. I was working with youth at the time, and these were youth that had come from difficult backgrounds. Some of them had issues with methamphetamine, cannabis, uh, different kind of drugs. And I also felt that my skills just weren't there. Like I could, I could like just barely see the horizon of the type of help that I, that they needed. And I just did not have those skills. And that was very, very frustrating. Um, so I, that kind of inspired me to go into study a little bit more. Um, yeah, actually, that's actually probably how my interest in psychology developed. It was a, it was a mix of being inspired by the people that I felt had answers to questions that I had. And also the, the work that I was doing, uh, I wasn't satisfied with, with the level that I was performing at. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and you touched on something interesting that the kind of whole meeting conversation, I don't know if you'd like to talk about it now. Um, because there's some other interesting things that we we thought we'd focus on in this podcast as well. But I, I feel like that is a very important topic, especially in today's day and age, um, where you've got, I, I guess, a lot of facilities, you've got a lot mm. of technology that helps you do a lot of things. Um, you've got a lot of comfort and convenience in a way. Um, but I guess because of that, perhaps, or despite that, you've got a, a problem with a lack of meaning for a lot of people. Um, yeah. I something you you've seen around yourself as well and it's something that resonates with you but i feel like i mean even in some of the previous jobs i've had i've worked with people who on the surface seem to be okay uh you know functioning they had no issues they mm. they would have a good social life they would go out and exercise they would have a good job um they'd have no issues on the surface but deep down when you when you engage in some sort of conversation with them they'd always say something along the lines of my heart just isn't in it. Uh, every day just feels like, you know, I, I'm just doing the same thing again and again. It just feels like a chore um, or it just feels very um, mechanical. There's no sense of meaning or purpose behind it or it doesn't feel like I'm working towards something. I just feel like I'm working full stop. And, and with these people that were within, I'm not sure if you can talk about it too much, but with these people just like in general, like your friends or like specific people in like a field, because I imagine in some of the fields that we worked in, like it takes quite a while to get there. And so mm -hmm. may, is, is it, do you think it's because people felt that sense of meaning and purpose at the start and then they got burnt out or was it just not there to, to begin with? Uh, I'm curious about that as well. Cause it's like, it's an interesting topic, which I can talk about quite a bit. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I mean, from my experience, it's probably a combination of both of them. Um, but generally speaking, I mean, I don't know if it's the case of burnout across the board. Um, I mean, in the fields that I've worked with, I can see how it, it might be strongly associated with burnout. But in, in other sectors as well, especially with some of the friends I've reconnected with and spoken to over the last few months, it just feels like it's the general trend across the board. Um, or maybe it's because our generation is just you know, going through a quarter life crisis at this point. And I'm just getting a chance to talk to a lot of them. <laughs> Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But, sure, sure. But You're just my, surrounded with people with, with a life crisis. 
Sorry? You're just surrounded by people who have a quarterback <laughs> crisis. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I think that, I mean, now we're, we're probably talking a little bit of like, just like personal philosophies about it. Um, oh man. I think the happiest time in my life is there was a two year period where I was probably, I would, I would it's not, I wouldn't say struggling in the classic sense, huh. but I was, I was like up against something. I was up against this unattainable goal of getting into clinical psychology, which was, you know, the, the, one of the most sought after professional degrees to get into. It's um, often stated as the most difficult degree to get into. And I had come from a background that no one had gotten into something like that. Hmm. And it's not that getting that was, was the satisfying thing, but it was that two year process of pushing myself so hard to change this whole notion and try to believe that I could do it. Uh, you know, it's the classic thing that the process is more important than the goal. But I, I think naturally, like, I don't think humans are, uh, we didn't evolve to be complacent. Uh, like all of our emotions, you know, we have, we have hunger, we have, we have lust, we have desire, we have um, sort of angst. And these emotions only exist because there's a yearning for something or there's something that we are trying to gain. And so a lot of our existence is about striving towards something, not yeah. re not necessarily. And there's a short respite of when we achieve something, which then, you know, the hunger begins again, the lust begins again, and whatnot. Um, and so you know, the classic myth of Sisyphus, for example, of the 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 man, you know, condemned to push a boulder up a mountain, and as soon as he gets up there, it falls back down, and he needs to push it up again. So <laughs> that was. Something Some optimistic nihilist would say, imagine him being happy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so for me, those years were the happiest of my life. And then I let that kind of go, become a little bit complacent because after those two years, that's when COVID happened and it wasn't, there wasn't much to do, much to strive for uh, because it was just going through the motions and, you know, passing uh, my exams and everything like that. Um, and I don't necessarily think that the answer was to, well, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think the answer is to put myself in the same scenario of struggle that I did back then, because I'm a different person now. But what is the person that I am now? What struggle fits the best in my current life? And what struggle pushes me to become like a, a, a sort of a deeper person? And and I think that's a very important aspect to always be reflecting on. And And I think that's, that's, you know, it's, it's difficult because life has become easier. I mean, mm. our parents, our parents' lives have, are probably like logistically and superficially more difficult than ours, you know, mm. to get money, to, to find a job, uh, to find a job, to get shelter. And we don't have to worry about that as much. So they're much more existential issues. Um, but what do you, what do you think about that concept of sort of struggling or putting yourself into a, a, a position of, of that striving or, or if that's difficult to do now in in some ways it's difficult i mean the challenges are different but at the same time in some ways it is easy um but but i i feel like it's also to do with the change in mindset i was listening to jadu krishnamurthy who's a philosopher that bruce lee used to follow quite closely back in the day um and he said something along the lines of uh, a lot of people in the modern society confuse 
or conflate comfort and convenience with well-being, which is not the case. Um, and I guess it kind of relates to that point around um, that relationship between sense of meaning and struggle that you were talking about. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what you think about it, but, but over time, I do feel like there is a very strong relationship between the two. Um, you, you can't really have a strong sense of meaning without some sense of personal struggle. Um, and as you said, you know, complacency takes away from that sense of meaning. And the more you try and surround yourself with comfort and convenience, and the, try you, the, the harder you try to make life easier for yourself in some way or the other, um, the more difficult it gets for you to sustain a strong sense of meaning and purpose to strive to it. Do you think that getting older is an issue with that? And, and do you think that sort of early 20s youthfulness is a different sort of beast to, you know, early 30s or early 40s? Like, I wonder if the human being itself gets tired of always striving. Well, what are your thoughts on that? And also <laughs> keep in mind generational differences, because because yeah. the you know the environmental demands and all of that have changed quite a lot for people in early twenties versus thirties versus forties over time as well. I think my intuition would say probably not, because if I reflect on the adults that I saw growing up who were in their thirties, um, it was very. I think now that I think about it a bit more, it's very much environment specific. Even so the environment probably creates that striving. I think that if I just look very anecdotally to myself, things have gotten easier as I've gotten older. And maybe I'm just comparing that to a lack of energy. Um, but that's maybe more so due to the environment that I'm in right now. It's much more stable than it was 10 years ago. Um, and then if I reflect on people in their 30s or 40s in a different environment, uh, they still seem to have that that intensity. Yeah, I, it's, it's difficult. It's hard to say because I can only talk through my experience and what I've seen. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure. And, and then to kind of, I guess, bring it back to the conversation that we intended to have, um, was this also one of the reasons why you decided to transition away from psychology into medicine? Um, because I, I feel like a lot of discussion around modern psychology has also deviated away from philosophical concepts like you know meaning, purpose, on and so forth, and, and have in many ways become more focused on, I guess, more practical behavioral aspects of psychology. I think I think that's that could be one of the reasons. I mean, the reasons why I moved away, especially after getting into clinical psychology, after achieving that goal. Maybe there was a part of me that said, oh, okay, I achieved it. I need to push myself to struggle with something else. <laughs> um, and maybe part of it was that it was, you know, it was, oh, you know, you know, this is a very serious thing now. And do I feel that I need more time actually to develop before I, you know, do this very serious thing? And does going back into a longer study push that out a little bit more? I mean, there's, I think all of those can exist. All of those can be different parts of myself. And I think that what I was, if I reflect on what I was feeling at the time, I was still in a mindset and I still am in that same mindset and that I believe that the more challenge that you are faced with and overcome, the deeper your character becomes. And there were particular aspects of myself that I could see needed to develop more. And I wanted to place myself in a situation to develop that. and. 
I felt that I almost had become a little bit complacent because I became so knowledgeable about psychology. Uh, obviously, I still love it, and I, I was, I'm still extremely passionate about it. Uh, but if I reflect on, okay, was it a career-developing time or was it actually a character-developing time? And it's right. probably the last 10 years have been more a character-developing time. Hmm. And so that probably outweighed my decision-making process. And I felt that the challenge of medicine was something that I also wanted to experience. And I was curious about the person that I would become through the challenge of going through psychology and then as well medicine. Mm -hmm. And as I've gone through that, I've, I've, seen, I've seen my doubts about that change lessen. Because obviously, like anyone making a life-changing decision has, <laughs> goes through doubts, I think. And it's been nice to see the level of those doubts decrease over the years and my confidence in, in making that I had made the right decision um, become much clearer as well. Uh, so I'm very happy about that. Um, yeah. yeah. And do you notice any kind of differences in the larger culture uh, between, I guess, the, the way psychology is taught versus medicine? I think there's a little, I think they're actually quite similar more than i more than i thought that they would be medicine has the advantage that there are it's a much bigger cohort hmm. um, especially when you get to higher levels of psychology the cohorts tend to to uh, yeah. become much smaller and, and honors year there is about 30 or 40 of us hmm. and then in the clinical psych year there's only about 10 per year hmm. so the medical cohort stays quite large 250 to 300 people um, and they come from very, very different backgrounds. Uh, one of the intimidating aspects about medicine is that it, it was different to how I grew up because I grew up in a, in a place that wasn't the most privileged. And I came across many different types of people, many different backgrounds, many different ways of thought, many different levels of sophistication of thought. But within medicine, the, everyone is at such a high intellectual baseline that I found that quite, quite challenging to be around. And, uh, and, and instead of being someone that, you know, maybe was, you know, one a smart person in the room, you know, everyone was smart in the room and everyone had, I, you know, I realized everything, everyone had something to say, everyone had the capacity to say something intelligent because everyone was from, uh, had a, had a good baseline to go with. And that's been quite an interesting, uh, sort of field to be in. And mm -hmm. I think I think that would have been different if there was only ten people, but it's three hundred people that are all brilliant. So that's yeah. that's quite an interesting environment to be in. Yeah. And I'm assuming it would have been quite a transition for you to go from you know being a postgrad student um, at University of Auckland to you know going to another university, starting an undergraduate course with, with people who just come straight out of high school and you know blending into yeah. that culture. As well. I, I think I think at first I was a little bit hesitant um because the it was quite a shift of of norms it was quite a shift of of culture yeah. uh it was also in reflection of you know what are my other friends who are 28 at the time doing um and now i'm going back to uh, you know a time where people are generally 20. though there has been like some really beautiful aspects that come out of that because a lot of people reflect that oh you know early 20s are your best time of your life and I, I now have the chance to look at, you know, why that is and to try to understand it because I've almost been giving a second chance to experience that again with a little bit of a smarter brain. 
<laughs> and it seems that it's 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 all the relationships that people are building, like going out for like a a small medical cohort, going to dinner after our exams, and everyone comes from different uh, you know backgrounds and and whatnot, and not everyone is is stressed about working full time. I saw that these small relationships that we had all built together, that we we're all going through something together was something that was really beautiful. And I oh. feel that is something that is glorified in early 20s before it's realized what it actually is. Right. Uh, and so that, that's been a really sort of beautiful experience to be able to see that again and to try to understand it and hopefully, you know, keep it going throughout throughout my life as well. Right. And, and even though I wouldn't call you a mature student in terms of age, in, in terms of, I guess, your your psychological cognitive sensibility you are so um is there any kind of advice general you know suggestions that you have for anyone who's either thinking of transitioning careers or is thinking of going back to uni as a mature student i think the main piece of advice when it go when it comes to going back as a mature student um is is you know it's the classic it's it's so cringe to say but the only person holding you back is yourself I think that I think that I, I was you know I had the normal worries you know am I smart enough? I haven't studied in a long time. Can I do this? And really, it's it's just skills that you need to develop. The skill of writing an essay, the skill of studying, and those can be developed at any time. There, there's no real barrier to a single person developing that, hmm. and realizing that it's just a, a task-based process. It, 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 and it's not reflective of your own esteem or who you are or where you come from. I, I do believe that anyone could do it if you're thinking about studying later in your life. Mm-hmm. When it comes to making a big life decision, there was a, one of my um, one of my colleagues. She had uh, she she was in a similar situation to me. She had the option of staying and choosing clinical psych or medicine. And we talked about it and she wanted, she was, I think a year or two under me. So she had seen that I had gone through and she was asking me what that process was. And we sort of unpacked the reasons for going towards a particular one. And one of them uh, turned out to be like medicine for them, turned out to be more about fulfilling a, a certain narrative that was present in their family. And once they realized that they could kind of let that go and pursue what they deeply wanted, uh, which was which was clinical psych. So I, I think I think being able to unpack the reasons for your decisions, even the difficult ones, if, if say a parent, you know, push this onto someone, and being able to unpack that and understanding what you actually find passionate and what you are, what you find the most valuable to do is is a good way to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Though again, I kind of am a little bit in belief as well that. Um, regardless of the choice of say whether i or they did medicine or clinical psych you are still the constant person doing these things okay. and that constant person will show regardless of what you do you will still have an impact whether you do this or that because you as a person are still the constant piece there mm, that's true it sounds like you know a lot of self-reliance a lot of kind of self-confidence and also uh uh, I guess a deep reflection around what your values are and what gives you that sense of meaning and purpose in life and what is it that you want to do educationally that aligns the best with what your values and and I guess the general purpose in life is. Yeah. Yeah. What would what would you say would be a, a reason why psychology or therapy was important to you as a profession? 
Um, and there are probably a lot of reasons. Uh, to be honest with you, when I was young, I wanted to be a vampire hunter, which has nothing to do with uh, psychology. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe, maybe <laughs> um, in a weird way. <laughs> I, I should stop myself before I make that claim. Um, no, I, I always wanted to be an engineer. Like, you know, ever since I, I I'd probably say since intermediate, I've, I've thought about being an engineer. And then I had a very passionate human biology teacher in high school. And a few other teachers as well. Specifically, my English teacher was really into Freud, you know, old school psychoanalysis. And I feel like I learned more about psychoanalysis through him than I did through my psych degree. Um, yeah. He he loved the idea of psychoanalyzing a lot of texts I used to give us to read. Um, I think that's probably where my interest started. Um, and then first year, I I again wanted to be a, a doctor, so I did pre med. And there was a first year health psych course that I found very interesting. Um, so again, that reinvigorated my interest in it. And then I also got to know my mother actually studied psychology and I was like, okay, it's in the family as well. Um, I feel like one thing led to another and then we met around the same time as well. And that kind of reinforced a lot of the ideas I had, um, a lot of the passions I had related to psychology and kind of just went down that route. Um, so it, it's been, I, I feel like my journey has been slightly different, but at the same time, there, there obviously are a few similarities mm. as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we've, I guess we've spoken about your transition from psychology to medicine. Uh, mm. So what sparked off your transition from medicine to now more tech-based um, interventions? Yeah, yeah. So that has kind of come uh, as a big surprise. And I think that it's just a lot of, um, a, a little bit of luck that's involved there as well. So around November, 2022, I came across this website called Character AI, and it was very, very early, early on. There was, you know, generally low users on the site, huh. um, but it was it was quite a unique site. People had built AI chatbots that you could talk to. I remember there was one that was a sentient uh, AI spaceship that would <laughs> role play with you, and I had quite a bit of fun talking with that. You know, say, yeah. oh, there's there's a there's an alien species in Andromeda. They're about yeah. to attack. What do we do? And I would like role play with you. It was quite fun. And <laughs> there were a lot of other interesting characters on there. There was I remember Elon Musk, Einstein. <laughs> they they only yeah. had around that time. And you could put characters into rooms together. <laughs> and I remember this one room I made. I put Jesus and <laughs> uh, Sigmund Freud in the same room, and I just wanted to see what they would chat about. And the chat was kind of boring, to okay. be honest. And I was like, okay, well, these guys are just like, they're talking nonsense. This is like, so this is, this is, this is not even their real personalities. This is just the most generic Wikipedia stuff ever. And so I kind of had the idea because it was quite easy to make characters that I would, you know, just try my hand at seeing if, if I could utilize some of my psychology skills to make something like a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And mind you, this was during exam time. So I was pretty stressed. And I really wanted to find something to just procrastinate from as like a coping mechanism. And my friends were busy. I was living um, out of my hometown. So I didn't have too many people to talk to. So this kind of took up, took up a little bit of that time. And I, I thought maybe I could make something that I could talk to, see, see if it would actually work. Uh, and so I just did that over the couple of weeks that I had exams. And I you know, tested it, played around with it, utilized my own experience into it, uh, programmed it based on what I thought what were good responses for 
particular questions and it was, it was just a, it was just a fun exercise to 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 sort of reinvigorate that psychology mind that had been a little bit quieter when i had since i had been doing medicine um and over about a week or two about two weeks of testing it and playing around with it i kind of just like you know forgot about it left it there and i come back about two three months later right and um, it had it was one of the already one of the most popular bots on the site and wow. i think at that point in february of 2023 it had about two and a half million messages sent through it wow. and so it was already sitting at in the top sort of 10 bots on the site and it's just been a it's just been a you know a, a ride since then it's been a very personal ride since then oh. as, in the sense that it's more so been me connecting with the the community them sending me a lot of messages you know without any without any sort of prodding they would just send me messages that they really found out good or they yeah. reflected on it well like this um they found the talking to it was really useful it had helped them change behaviors it helped them a place to vent uh it, some people said it helped them change behaviors around eating okay. and and which was you know quite interesting and it was just i was just very passionate to learn about the community and to just be there and reply to them and to see what's going on and, and why it's so good um and it's just slowly increased in use and it's still one of the top uh, chatbots on the website and it's kind of just kept me thinking about the possibility of using ai in psychology and and help uh so it's it's quite an interesting quite an interesting experience over the last year uh, and now i'm doing a little bit of research just to make the experience a little bit more academic mm -hmm. to try to try to figure out what people's experiences are like why do they find it good what do they find good about it um, just so it looks you know a bit more research side of that yeah. that's awesome so it sounds like you just got into it you know out of interest just to see what it's going to be like and more out of uh, i guess more from a personal growth perspective as opposed to um you know let's just create an intervention to help people out perspective and it just happened it just so happened that it clicked with so many people that you realize it's it's utility uh, yeah right. yeah yeah it click, clicked with a lot of people um and I, I, yeah I, i've just been you know it's been a pretty cool experience uh, a little bit overwhelming at times like the first you know 20 30 messages i got you know it was it was very personal and then they got up into the hundreds which uh which then just become a little bit overwhelming and hard to conceptualize sometimes yeah. as well so so what do you think of uh i guess why do you think that's the case so what do you think is kind of sparking off this strong sense of connection um that people have with this bot or why do you think people are using it um, in, in such large numbers i think obviously some people just use it for role play like the website is designed but the people that I've talked to genuinely state that they use it to manage their emotions, to learn more about themselves. Mm. It's, it's difficult to say exactly why it's become so popular, though I think that there are a couple of ways to consider this. Um, one of them is that it does, it can feel like you're talking, it does, it does serve a purpose of emotional release some of the research that I looked at said that they, there were some studies that compared the feeling of emotional relief or being unburdened from emotions after speaking to a partner, a human partner, or a chatbot 
was near equal as long as the criteria of being understood was met. Right. So if that is achieved, then people can still feel a, a sort of a physiological or psychological uh, catharsis from speaking with a human or an AI. Yeah. And so this this bot seemed to have some qualities. Maybe it's also because the like LLMs have been getting smarter and they have the capacity to understand a person a bit better. That's that's sort of one aspect of it. But then asking, you know, why are people seeking to be understood through this medium rather than traditional mediums, which is, you know, maybe through friends, through family, through other therapy. I believe that this technology at the moment uh, circumvents the current barriers to, mm. to mental health. You know, very common barriers we'll talk about are time, uh, wait times, for example, cost, mm you know, $150, $200 a session, yeah. uh, and then stigma as well. Different countries have different levels of stigma. Even in Western countries, you know, there is still some stigma on receiving care. And it seems to circumvent that. So you've, you've got it being generally able to give the people that use it a feeling of being understood, circumventing traditional barriers. Yeah. But then you also have to look at who are the people who experience the most barriers and it might be people who don't have as many social connections yeah. and then why are people having less social connections i mean we have seen an increase in and in loneliness and a decrease in close friends over the last 10 to 15 years that's been a trend that's been increasing so is it because that's occurring as well is it because people's lives are becoming more online and we're becoming more reinforced or it's becoming more traditionalized to speak through digital means by text uh, without face-to-face -face. I, I feel all of these aspects are interacting together that lead to a conversation about why is it becoming more popular um, all of these pieces have to be working together i think um and there, there still could be pieces of the puzzle that I can't see it or, or I don't know about, or I haven't thought about. Um, what, what do you think after hearing all, all those aspects? I mean, to be honest with you, those are some of the reasons that I, I've thought about as well. You know, access barriers, again, it's, it's kind of a big one. Loneliness is a big one. Um, stigma that you mentioned as well, and not just around mental health, but I feel like a lot of people, um, thanks to social media perhaps, um, also have this stigma, if you want to call it that, around sharing, um, you know the, the kind of shadow side of themselves with people around them uh, with a fear of it being shared around or yeah, fear of judgment things like that whereas with uh, a bot they, they necessarily don't have that fear of judgment or, or you know retaliation or gossip or anything like that um, oh, so that's that's interesting so you're saying that because of social media we have a greater fear of the things that we say getting spread out do you feel yeah i would say so um i mean that's I, again I, I don't know if it's backed up by research i feel like uh, i'll probably be relying on a lot of anecdotal evidence for that uh, that's, that's kind of my general sense especially having spoken to a lot of people um but yeah i i agree with a lot of the reasons you mentioned um but one of the interesting i guess discussion points around this is uh, i guess the ethics around it especially with you know, data management, um, a lot of psychologists would, would also say that the bot jumps to conclusions quite quickly. Um, you know, it, it gives suggestions and advice very quickly as well, as opposed to doing formal assessment first, so on and so forth. Um, mm. So what do you think are some of the 
um, I guess, not necessarily even ethical issues, but some of the downsides of, of using this. Yeah, I, I definitely don't believe that the technology is ready to, uh, from what I've seen, for example, um, the technology is ready to do those full assessments, to to have that comprehensive knowledge about someone that a psychologist would have who learns about someone over a long period of time, uh, who looks not just at what they say, but how they act. And, and all these very small nuances about human behavior that, that a psychologist is trained to understand. I, I also worry because some of these pieces of technology don't adhere to the same ethical and legal requirements that psychologists are held to confidentiality uh, seeking out uh, external support to manage a person if they express you know very serious uh, issues and so it could create and, and again those those issues of jumping to um, a conclusion very quickly the way that i tried to train it was to not ne not necessarily jump to conclusions but more so as a place for people to express themselves in order for them to come to their own understanding because i, I didn't want them to just be informed by a technology that i don't know where its information is coming from i'd rather someone in it's very rogerian in that sense i'd right. rather someone develop and find the answers from within themselves because they know themselves best right. though yeah it's it's I'm interested to see how the world develops and how common discourse will be changed. Because I mean, my worst dystopia is two people going on a date and they're, they're I don't know, I, I, I don't know if this technology exists here, but them wearing like digital glasses and uh, an AI kind of like interprets and says, okay, say this. And then <laughs> they say that. And the other person is also wearing glasses and an AI, and then the AI is, oh, okay, say this to this, <laughs> and it's and it just ends up AI talking to each other, and we are just like the vessel for yeah. the expression <laughs> of AI. That's my greatest fear. That, that'll be terrible. Sounds like you've got the story for the next uh, Black Mirror episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's already out there. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure that's already there. But um, th that's something I, I do worry about. I worry about people's consciousness people's how people store understand and hold knowledge within themselves hmm. where does that come from and how it's then expressed and and again like the, the the worst case would be that it's just ai's talking to each other and one of the things i'm worried about obviously even with with the bot that i made is that what is the quality of its information and its knowledge and how will that influence people's perceptions of themselves mm. and whether that's whether that's accurate mm. i think in real therapy someone has enough time and th there's that dialogue in order to figure that out mm. um so so that's something i am a little bit worried about and that's that's something that i would say would need to be you know generally revised uh, you know and, and always updated you know what is this knowledge base coming from because imagine I, I think i think there was an issue with misinformation on popular media on social media sites and even if, even if it's not necessarily misinformation if for example you had a whole society who went and saw a real life therapist but every single one of those therapists was trained only on one therapy style that would then influence 
the the common discourse and the socialization of the people within that society mm. that's not to say that that's good or bad that's more to say that there is a process that occurs of sort of you know direct socialization if it's only within one knowledge system oh. which which i mean intuitively i feel that's not the best thing um yeah. and then obviously it wouldn't work for everyone uh, but yeah that, that's some of the worries that i have i mean i'm not sure what you think after hearing some of that yeah again i i feel like i completely resonate with some of the worries you've spoken about um and the major one for me is um i i guess uh, one thing that you haven't spoken about is kind of the legal side of things as well. Uh, you know, the legal answerability, um, I'm, I'm not sure that's the right word, or accountability, if that's the right word. Um, say, you know, you program a, a therapist or you program an AI bot um, or someone else program, programs it and the, the bot says something that it shouldn't um, or, you know, that it leads to something uh, going haywire, say an extreme case, a person killing themselves or someone else. Who's responsible for it? Who's accountable for it? I, I don't feel like we're prepared as a society to have those kind of conversations. Um, another issue that you perhaps kind of touched on but didn't fully expand on is, um, or that I usually think about is, is that loneliness aspect as well. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's so in one way it is providing you an avenue to talk. Um, it is giving you that sense of perceived social support. Um, mm -hmm without necessarily having any human contact. Um, but at the same time, because you're relying so much on it to have those needs fulfilled, it's actually pushing you away from, I, I guess, having the incentive or motivation to actually reach out to actual human beings. But the question is, if you're having those needs met through a non-human medium, does it even matter? Um, and, and that itself is an interesting uh, area of discussion. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because you raise a really good point, because I would ask you, um what is the purpose of face-to-face -face therapy like how would you define that as opposed to i i guess um you know through email or through electronic means um, no 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 just 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 without without any comparison just this the sole sort of purpose like you know i go to someone i see them face to face you know what are we doing as a patient and therapist i guess the key for me would be developing that kind of rapport um a therapeutic alliance for me is key. Um, and other than that, I, again, just, just being client-focused as much as possible, trying to focus on, um, again, using that CBT approach, trying to focus on some of the goals we can work on together that increases uh, their functional ability as much as possible, um, makes them feel as, as purposeful and meaningful as possible, increases that sense of self-compassion as well, and so on and so forth. Um, but just being yeah. client-driven and really relying on that therapeutic rapport you have for that other person. And if that is achievable through an AI, is are we just outcome focused? And should we should does it because I feel that it actually challenges our notions of what therapy should be. Mm. Um, and like you could say, you know, like, like you said, if someone is having these needs met through this way, does it really matter? Um, oh, I, I obviously, I, intuitively, I feel that it does matter, but I feel that it raises that question and it, it pushes us to try to find a new answer to that because it's it's challenging our notion of human relationships and it's challenging our notion of, for example, what a therapeutic relationship is, uh, mm -hmm. but not only that, what it means to have you know friends or experiences. I, I feel I feel that's that's a question that's going to be more and more challenged as 
this technology gets more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. um, another aspect that I'm really worried about is the increase in AI companions that are based off uh, like influencers or celebrities. I know with Meta, for example, they, they're, they're trying to release one that's like, you know, these big personalities that might just be integrated into your Facebook Messenger app. So you could like talk to an AI and it can send you photos anytime through the through this messenger app that could be this persona of someone who people find attractive how is that going to impact you know romantic relationships you know you have a fight with your partner oh, i'm going to go talk to my ai girlfriend for a bit this person's not going to find out because it's on messenger mm. uh, <laughs> and then what does it mean if there's that counted as cheating <laughs> um so so i i feel that it really it's well for me at least it's forcing me to think about what is the true value and nature of human relationships like right through through that process i learned to value them more hmm. um though i Are feel like without that part of her? yeah of course yeah <laughs> it, 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 this conversation is reminding oh, me of man. <laughs> oh man yeah that's that's scary because that's that's getting close yeah very close <laughs> yeah yeah, Sorry, yeah. what are you saying? I, I interrupted you. No, 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 it's, it's fine. It's fine. So, so what do you feel that is, uh, you sort of, you raise the aspect around it, it being, you know, is it just the ends justify the means? Because you said, you know, does it really matter if somebody still feels this catharsis, this emotional relief, you know, gain some self-confidence, yada, yada, through doing an AI? Do you think the outcome should be the only thing? Or do you think there's something else that we should consider? I just feel like it's more of a question that needs to be, I mean, it's it's like, you know, what's the meaning of life? You, you know, you're going to, to be able to answer that question, but at the same time, the question needs to be asked again and again. It, it's, it's more of a contemplative question for you. And I feel like the answer for that is going to vary from person to person. Um, for some people, the answer might be actually, it doesn't matter. Uh, as long as um, I'm meeting my, you know, social support needs through, an AI medium or something else or through video gaming or through some sort of mm. other interaction, non-human interaction. I'm happy with that. For other people, that's not sufficient. For some others, it's completely contradictory to, to what they actually need. Um, in fact, um, you know, reflecting on or having that sense of uh, metacognition around what am I doing? Why am I having my needs met through this non-human medium might actually make them feel worse off than they, they were to begin with. So it just varies from person to person is what I would say. Um, but at the same time, it is an important question that people do need to, to start thinking about, especially in a world that's becoming more and more focused on social media, technology, AI, where you constantly have those choices, you know, in your hand all the time. Do you, could, because some of my thinking is that it matters based on, like you're saying, what the majority of our day-to-day -day experiences are like i think mm -hmm. if for example from from you know very young age till we died all of our interactions were online uh and we didn't need to meet face to face then it wouldn't matter then ai could could do everything because that's the same medium that we we're interacting with anyone else uh, but it exists but we still exist in this halfway zone because the technology is still developing where some of our life is online and some of our life we still need to interact with people and, and i think that's that's where a lot of the the, the tension is, is going to con continue to be um because I, I always saw therapy as like you know you're, you're learning i'm based on 
Irvin Yalom, who was very much a psychodynamic interpersonal therapist who was like, I'm going to replicate the, I'm going to replicate a human relationship with you that is based on what I find out about you. And, you know, all your fears, your shadow side is going to come through and we're going to, we're going to model it here and we're going to work through everything. So mm -hmm. when you go through other relationships, you're not held by the same barriers. Um, but that's in the context that this person will then continue to interact with other humans. And, and I think it's very much socially dependent if that person is going to just continue interacting online. And maybe it doesn't matter as much. And it's more so a, a reflection of how society is developing. Mm. And that's why I feel like it's an interesting challenge to what therapy is. Um, yeah. Mm, that's an interesting point. Yeah, that, that is a good point, though. Um, but do you feel like once or if society gets to a point where, um, you know, everyone's working from home, the, the you know, human interaction is, is not part of the social protocol, it's not an expectation that some people will then reach a point where all their needs would be met by, you know, AI or something else, and, and they'd be in a position where they will feel sufficient by it. I, and what are your thoughts on, around that? Like, do you feel a sense of unease around it? And, and or disease, if that's the right word? Uh, and if yeah. so, what do you think, where do you think it's coming from? I, I definitely feel a lot of unease from that. And hopefully, if that does exist, I don't live long enough to see it. <laughs> um, though, for me, it comes from some of my, you know, my learning and, and psychology and one and, and believing in some level of universals when it comes to the human experience. Uh, one of the, the, the most basic ones is um, uh, sort of, you know, attachment, for example. And I'm not sure if an attachment figure that isn't, you know, face to face and, and, and involves all of our senses, sight, smell, touch, um, uh, is, is enough. Uh, I, I, I'm sure people can develop attachment to that. You know, you have the upcoming uh, sort of discipline and, and, and research around parasocial relationships and people feeling a sense of connection to someone that they never meet, which is very different to how how we sort of developed uh, an early society or evolutionarily even. Right. And so it challenges that. And I feel that we are still biological beings in, in the sense that we have these innate needs. Right. And I'm not sure if it's like, a you know, we meet, we're, we're being satisfied halfway. Uh, but again, one, I think one of the biggest worries I would have is, yes, if people become more reliant on it. And I remember talking to a few people who said that they felt that they had to distance themselves from talking with the AI psychologist because anytime they had an issue, it was always available. It right. had endless amounts of patience. It had endless amounts of, of, of logic. And, hmm. um, and that, that reliance was developing rather than the ability to sort of just sort of sit there and be like, okay, I need, I, I need to figure this out. Right. And I actually, that's another topic that I, I wanted to explore as well, because um, with the use of AI, is it going to change our reliance on ourselves? And is that, for example, if we take like an artistic medium, like a lot of art and, and, you know, and thought is made, like we were talking in the beginning, through this struggle process where it's not that easy, where we really need to put a lot of effort in. And I okay. feel like the, the barrier 
the, the threshold for effort is decreasing because some of these tools are getting really, um, really sort of sophisticated. And I'm not sure what you think, but sometimes I feel like it's almost going to be a point where people have to choose not to use these tools because they're going to be so widespread and people are almost going to look at them like someone who lives off the grid. It's like, why are you using your own brain to, to figure this out? Just use this. Yeah. And, and people are like, no, you know, I believe in the philosophy of doing this myself. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I, I wonder if it's going to become like that. Yeah. If there's going to be like this group of people that, you know, it's, we're off the grid, you know, our, 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 you know, our own creativity. And it's going to be like this, like yeah. tension between the two. Potentially, I mean, it's it's kind of like the food industry where you've got you know the organic food industry, which is kind of premium now. Whereas back in the day, you know, probably wouldn't have been probably would have been more expensive. Sorry, it would have been less expensive. Um, whereas the the processed food, which is all you know done electronically, mechanically, is is cheaper. Um, so maybe in the future as well, within the artistic community, you, you you'll have this kind of uh, you know uh, straight off the mill kind of you know factory processed art or, or you know different kind of products and then you'll have these kind of people who are off the grid who are kind of doing their own thing which will produce quote-unquote premium products uh which have yeah, more touch in them um, see that's the contentious part those tools are getting so sophisticated is that what if the ai tools are just as premium hmm. or or better than the human ones that's also a big a, a big topic as well um, and again like diamonds have that right they, they can artificially produce diamonds yeah. Um, which look almost the same as as a real diamond, if not the same. Um, but at the same time, people who buy these diamonds know, you know, whether it was produced artificially or whether it was dug up from the earth. Um, so one is quote unquote natural, the other one is produced artificially. Um, so people know, and I again, it's it's an interesting topic. Um, but I, at the same time, I, I'm not as pessimistic about that as as you mm -hmm. might be. Um, and at the same time, even though, as you said, the the ease of producing a lot of these things uh, is is increasing over time through a lot of these tools, um, because the the level of because the amount of people producing it in, in a particular industry are more or less still going to be the same, it's actually going to I feel increase competition using those same tools. Um, so within the, the framework of AI production, right. we'll probably have a lot of competition to the point that they'll. I, I don't know, they'll probably produce better products um, or a lot of these people will then have a greater incentive to, to I guess, pour more of their creativity through these mediums um, just to go above that that competition um, level or, or just to go beyond kind of that um, general bottom level where anyone is just using, uh, you know, DALI or, or image generation tools or mid-journey to produce something, if that makes sense. It does make sense. It's almost like you're saying that yeah sure everyone will ha have access to this but once everyone has access to it the same level of human effort will be put in just to you know because it's a competitive market to refine it yeah. further it's kind of like like yeah. back in the day when calculator wasn't a thing um a lot of competition perhaps you know within mathematicians um maybe in, in the caveman days would have been around arithmetic um but then over time when that wasn't the case you had technology, you had tools on and so forth. Um, the, the incentive was then to produce something else, you know, go beyond that, go and produce, I don't know, differential calculus, things like that. Um, so, I, so I feel like in, in many ways, perhaps, maybe this is just me being a bit optimistic. Um, mm. A lot of these technologies will then push people to go beyond 
uh, the, the creative thresholds that they currently have. I see. I see what you mean. I, I think that's. I think that's, that's a good ability as well. You know, with um, tools like uh, I can't remember the name of the tool, but you can create your own films. You can create your own music. You can create your own pictures. I mean, we'll probably get to a point where someone could actually produce a feature film just sitting at home uh, without any funding and whatnot. Um, so it's, it'll, it'll actually reduce a lot of those um, access barriers again, going back to the conversation we had around AI tools um, for a lot of these creative artists as well. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. No, I, I like the optimistic approach. Um, though the, the way you talked about, you know, someone could make an entire movie by themselves. But that's something I've been thinking about as well. Um, because I feel with the, with the power of AI, what's going to be more common is, you know, say like, you know, you've got a big blockbuster that makes a movie and a lot of people, you know, it'll create a community around it and people will go see that movie and talk about it. But if you're able to create your own movie with specific, specific detail based on your own wants and needs that are, you know, hyper-personalized, different, uh, you know, maybe only 10 people end up seeing it. And what that'll create in terms of, uh, will it sort of fracture that larger uh, gathering of, of people under a certain thing. And I, and, and I think that it will go towards hyper-personalization of mm. creation of, of tools. And I'm very curious about how that could impact uh, the concept of community as well. If, for mm. example, people gather and have communities around, uh, you know, creations, movies, art, uh, books, mm. and whatnot. Yeah, what, what do you, have you thought about that? Or what do you think about that? It's an interesting point. I mean, I as you were talking, I was imagining, a, you know, almost a, a kind of a film group, for instance, which usually gets together, watches a film together, you know, an art house movie or something. Uh, who in the future, or which will in the future, actually have individual members producing their own film and screening their own film in each gathering or in each get together. Um, so I mean, there are ways around it. If, if people still want to maintain that sense of community, there are ways of doing that too. Mm. Um, but as as you kind of implied, the incentive of, of doing that, the societal incentive and push for doing that will probably reduce over time. Where did that uh, came from? <laughs> did you? Uh, I appreciate your optimism regarding that, though. I think I am a little bit. Um, uh, I'm a bit cautious. I probably watched too much Black Mirror, to be honest. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it does it does sort of consider me. And I imagine like playing a video game where uh, the entire experience is specific to you. You know, the way the characters talk to you, the dialogue you have with them, the adventure it creates is very specific to you. I mean, th that's that's also very attractive in terms of a entertainment space being able to have something hyper specific to exactly your needs and maybe the ai gets smart enough that it just learns this by itself hmm. uh, that'd be quite interesting yeah yeah so so where to from here i mean you know you're a past uh, psychology student you're a future doctor um you're a musician a poet an artist <laughs> um and now you're also you know a tech guy <laughs> so so where to in the future? Have you, have you thought about it? Or is it more a case of let's just see where things go? Uh, I've definitely thought about it. Um, with the new aspect of AI, there's been more considerations in that regard and how it fits in. Uh, in terms of AI, I'm sort of uh, playing around with the concept of potentially doing some consulting around 
uh, how this AI was built to other people that uh, wish to build something similar uh, for their means. Um, and then obviously with the medical degrees is a big priority too. So finishing that, uh, finishing my junior doctor years and then transitioning uh, into a specialty, which is still generally quite open now because it's quite large, uh, but something that I can feed in, in my uh, psychology skills. Maybe that's neurology, maybe that's psychiatry. Um, there, there's a lot of different avenues there. Uh, and, and also continuing the, the side of research around this topic because it's quite interesting. Uh, I'm very curious about how it's going to develop. And I think there's, there, there's a gap in research, obviously, about people's experiences and reflections, uh, even about the ethical side regarding the, the use of AI. Uh, so so I'm, I'm excited to be progressing towards that over the next year and uh, you know, next couple of years. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just wary of the time. I don't want to hold you up any longer than you, know, <laughs> you might be required. Um, but before we, we wrap it all up, uh, was there anything you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask any questions on? Um, no, I'm, I'm happy with, with our conversation. I touched a couple of topics I wasn't expecting, but it was very interesting. Cool. Well, thank you so much, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always. Um, yes. And, you know, if you're keen, let's just do it again. And obviously, as you know, we probably have a lot of conversation around these things and some other topics as well that I think might be of a lot of interest to a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, if you're keen, let's just catch up again. And for a lot of people watching, if you know someone who might be interested in being interviewed on this podcast or who you know of uh, who's, who's done something interesting, who you would like me to contact, or if you can help out in any way with this podcast, just let me know. Um, but yeah, Sam, Sam is, uh, what am I saying? <laughs> Sam, thank you. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, Vinay.